The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speaker. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice from your own physician. Hi, I'm Rich Vogel. And I'm Adam Doan. We're both board-certified neurophysiologists from just outside Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And we're also chairs of the NACS section on intraoperative neurophysiological monitoring. This podcast series is about neuromonitoring and covers a range of educational topics aimed at optimizing patient care, decreasing costs, and maximizing OR efficiency. Today, we're going to address an important topic about neuromonitoring and spine surgery. Namely, aren't all technologists and oversight personnel the same? I mean, anyone can monitor any surgery, right? The short answer is no, and it has important implications for the quality, safety, consistency of neuromonitoring for your patients. So, Adam, can you start off by expanding here and telling us why this topic is important? Sure. In a previous podcast, we just we talked about the importance of communicating a detailed plan of the surgical procedure to the neuromonitoring team at least 48 hours in advance of the non-emergent surgery. One of the main reasons we made that recommendation is because the neuromonitoring team may need some time to make sure that the most competent and qualified people are assigned to the case. Right, and not all cases are the same level of complexity from a neurophysiology perspective. Basic lumbar fusions are probably the easiest, and then cases grow in complexity from there as you transition to cervical spine, deformity correction, neuromodulation, intradural pathologies, and intramedullary spinal cord tumor resections are probably the most complex. So how does a technologist or oversight professional gain expertise in monitoring these procedures? Well, unfortunately, there isn't really one specific method that we can point to. For most people, regardless of their role in neuromonitoring, learning happenings through on-the-job training. There are no standards or requirements for learning neuromonitoring across the different procedures. Because our, our model generally consists of a technologist working in the OR and a doctoral-level neurophysiologist performing oversight, it's probably best to talk about their training separately. Rich, why don't you start with the technologist side, and then I'll finish up with the professional side. Sure, sounds good. So for technologists, licensure does not exist. Certification in neuromonitoring is available for technologists, and they use the letter CNIM, or CNIM, after their name to indicate certification status. But the exam tests for very basic skills and does not test for surgery-specific competencies. Therefore, it's mostly up to employers to determine the proper education material and length of training. This can vary significantly. Some hospitals and companies have little to no training available at all, while others have in-depth education and training programs that begin with basic skills and continue through the most complex of topics. The good news is that we're right now just starting to see various education academic programs, such as the University of Connecticut and the University of Michigan, provide neuromonitoring programs at both the undergraduate and graduate level. This may become the new standard over the next decade as programs emerge, but I'd say stay stay tuned on that. Yeah, and that's great. Um, For oversight professionals, the majority of whom are physicians, licensure obviously exists, but residency and fellowship programs often don't teach these competencies, and they're not always tested for on most of the board exams. 
there is one board exam that is open to physician and non-physician doctors called the DABNM exam, which tests competencies across a wide variety of surgical specialties and subspecialties. But there are fewer than 200 people in the world with this designation. Oversight physicians tend to be neurologists or clinical neurophysiologists, and they often opt to sit for those respective board exams in addition to their medical board exams. In any case, it doesn't matter, matter whether you're a technologist, a physician, a doctoral neurophysiologist, learning about the stages and risks of each surgical procedure, along with how to best apply neuromonitoring techniques happens on the job over time as more senior personnel train the more junior personnel. Since good neuromonitoring applies context-specific pattern recognition to accurately interpret the data, and because clinically significant data change is more the exception than the norm, then the see one, do one, teach one mentality is probably not the optimal strategy for case coverage. Rich, why is this relevant and why should spine surgeons care? Yeah, that's a great question. So as a surgeon, you could order neuromonitoring for a complex case like an intermedullary spinal cord tumor resection. But if it's booked as a thoracic decompression, uh, which often happens, it's entirely possible or even likely that you'll get a team competent to monitor a bony decompression, but not a intermedullary spinal cord tumor resection. So by the time your neuromonitoring team is on site on the day of surgery, it's probably too late to find someone more advanced, particularly if you use an outsourced monitoring group. You're likely to get bad monitoring. And usually, as we always say, bad monitoring is worse than no monitoring at all. So that leaves us with one final question. What might a neuromonitoring group typically do if they had someone in the OR or even remotely supervising with limited experience on a particular case? Adam, do you want to take that? Yeah, and that's a, a great question. And I think that it, this is most commonly where the non-physician doctor with the DABNM certification comes into play. Because their training is so extensive in the board certification, vets competency in many surgical contexts, they tend to have a certain level of expertise in the field and can provide support on the, on the case behind the scenes via a telemodel. In this context, they're often involved in training both the technologists and physicians in the complex nuances of neuromonitoring. Unfortunately, there aren't many DABNMs out there, so the hospital or monitoring group may not have enough of them on staff to provide the support necessary to assist with covering the cases last minute. So that's another reason why you should make sure to book your cases with the monitoring team in advance using the detailed description of your surgical plan. Great. So to summarize, neuromonitoring has learned on the job over many years. Different surgical procedures have very different levels of complexity on the neuromonitoring side. In order to ensure you get the most competent and qualified monitoring team for your case, be sure to book the procedure with your monitoring group well in advance and be as specific as possible about the surgical plan, along with any requests for non-standard modalities. It is important that surgeons have an understanding of the level of training and certification that their monitoring team has so the patients have the best care available for any given surgical procedure. Thanks for listening. 